Just this past month, I heard a story of a recent Dort graduate who felt compelled not to follow along in setting immediately upon graduation a job that would launch the trajectory of their career, but instead felt a a strange and curious prompting to take a job that almost paid virtually nothing. It didn't make sense in the career planning process, but it felt like the path of obedience. In doing so on one of the last days in that place of near volunteerism, the person is met that God brings that opens up the career that awaits. I heard a story also recently of another Dort graduate who'd passed through this place in recent years, couldn't find the right job and kept looking and looking and looking and ended up taking a job as the manager of a bar and after getting a degree in theology, this didn't really seem like the exact fit. (laughs) But within the neighborhood where he was placed and lived, God introduced him to the woman who would become his life partner and hold him up stronger in life than he could have ever been on his own and God took him there. I heard another story recently about a graduate from Dort who got a job at a new employer, and the employer's philosophy was that he would have to work every single position within the company before he would be allowed to attain the position that he had actually applied for. Now, his father owned the business and thought this would be good for him to experience so he could stand alongside of, fully understand all the inner workings of, be compassionate towards, and have a fuller vision for what it is that needs to take place every day for them to provide the products and service that they do. I know of another graduate in recent years, still searching and searching and searching to find that exact place but confesses that in the meantime, they've discovered that life isn't about the exact fit of a job because something different is being done within them in the place of trust that is preparing them for whatever it is that God has in the life ahead. The times when my wife and I fight the most are when we're driving somewhere because I have male pride. I will not ask for directions. So wonderfully, this great marriage saver has actually been another woman in my life, Siri. (laughs) And when I'm at a loss, she never raises her voice, never questions. And even when I go off course with the same tenor of voice, she gently guides me back on track. With her, I cannot take a wrong turn. Every wrong move just simply is recalibrated back. It's almost like there are no mistakes. What's interesting in this survey that we put out to all of you and to faculty and students and alumni over Christmas break about the questions you're asking in life or the questions others think you should be asking in life, there's a couple places that had great discrepancy between the questions you ask and those who are older than you. We talked about one last week about the big life decisions being made now. The one that was near the top of the list for every student was, am I getting my major right? Am I in the right path? Am I setting the right things in place that I will have the right job? And there seems to be a lot of stress and anxiety over this. And I'm sure every advisor here on campus can attest to this fact. More than a few tears even shed over these questions. Now I understand there's an earnestness in this. We want to do what is right. We want to find God's path for our life. But what I found so curious in the answers is that those who have gone before, faculty and alumni, didn't seem to think that you should be as nearly as concerned with this question as you are. 
Probably because there's a wisdom of experience that has shown in some ways even a, a wrong turn in a God who is all-sufficient is also all-efficient. He will take every little wrong turn and use it for something in his purpose. He will take even the things that we didn't get quite right and redeem them and make them part of our story and lead us to where he's taking us. I'm always baffled when I find out that there's this level of anxiety that exists within us as followers of God. For the one who holds all things, we're so worried about creating, determining, setting up our own future, all the while believing in the one who holds it. And there seems to be this difference, this, this gap of faith right in that spot. And it's where I want to challenge you on this morning. You have questions about calling. Where it is that God is calling you in this life? And I want to, I want to just say up front, I'm going to use three words in a very particular way this morning, and so I want to make sure we're all on the same page. The difference between calling, vocation, and job. First one, calling. You can't have a calling if there is no caller. There's no such thing as listening to a voice and finding a path if you don't believe one is actually setting it all up. Calling is a unique concept to those who believe that there is a God who is in control of things. And your calling is the same as mine. I don't care which one of the, whatever, what is it, 109 different programs you will graduate from this place within. You and I have the same calling. We are called to be disciples of Christ. We are called, first and foremost, over everything else in life, that, that we are striving to figure out who it is that we are to become, not it is that we, what we will be financially compensated for. Your being will always come before your doing. And you have to, have to, have to understand this, embrace it, find freedom in it. I heard it said recently by a woman by the name of Ann Voskamp that what's so scary is that perfect fear casts out love when we're told in Scripture that it's perfect love that casts out fear. When we have a fear of the future, we have an inability to receive or give in exchange in love with God. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and I will go back to here again to start this message from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is one of those recalibration passages. I come back to this again and again. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let those who boast boast about this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. So often when we think and worry about the, the, the places where we are trying to aim our career aspirations, if we're really honest with ourselves, wisdom, strength, riches, these are the goals that we are chasing. We are reminded again that the only target our calling has is to simply know and walk with the Lord. And that out of this, other things will come. If you are in a place where you are stressed about this, went back again this week reading through this Roaring Lambs by Bob Briner. If you've never read this book yet and you're still wrestling with vocation and calling, fantastic read. Listen to what he does at the beginning of the book, though. 
He talks about, if you're trying to find your place in the world, here it is. The only way we can really change the world is to immerse our wills and desires so completely in the mind of Christ that we become extensions of his ministry. If we are stressed out, if you are worried about your future, the answer is not to come up with a more strategic plan. The answer is to make preparation. To hold our expectations of our future loosely because we know that there is one whose hands are so much bigger than ours, whose wisdom is so far above ours, whose love for us is greater than our own for ourselves, amazing as that is to comprehend. I find it interesting that a book that talks about how it is that you will go out and be transformational agents in the world, where you will not stand in the shadows of the great cultural influences, but you will run into the center of it and be light in the places of greatest darkness. He references how the book of Acts starts off and the church is standing before this incredible world with this mission that God has given to them to go out into all the nations and they're going to start from ground zero. Briner makes mention of the fact that what, this is what the disciples did, that they moved more fully into the heart of God to figure out what his ministry was and that it was prayer that drove this. Acts 1 verse 24, then they prayed 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer, 4 verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer, 431, after they prayed, 6 verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer, 759, Stephen prayed, 815, they prayed for them, 911, for he is praying, chapter 10 verse 9, Peter went up on the roof to pray, 1030, I was in my house praying, 12 verse 5, but the church was earnestly praying, all these movements, and it goes on and on and on like this, they start with prayer, they start with seeking the heart of God, you will never find your calling if you are not connected to the heart of the caller, you will never find your identity and who you are called to be if you're not grounded first in that. We keep trying to see this vision that will unpack and lay everything out clearly for us, but that's not how God works. We are so often after clarity and control when it comes to the goals and the unfolding of our lives, and we think that that will alleviate the anxiety within us. And yet all the while, I'm coming more and more to believe this, that Jesus' favorite color is gray. He loves confusing people. Everybody who thinks they have things figured out, Jesus just loves taking out at the knees and drop. He has to bring you back to a place of dependency on him again and again. Faith is built when we do not believe in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own ability to create a future. Faith is found when we find ourselves dependent on the one who holds it. And it is in his heart. And if you believe he is for you and he is good, then the specifics of the plan will unfold as his heart is revealed to you. Confusion. We often think that that's the enemy. If I'm confused about what I'm doing in my future, there must be something wrong. I would want to suggest to you that God wants to use that confusion to drive you further into his arms more fully into his heart, to find your calling so that you can find your vocation because your vocation will not make sense if we don't find calling first. These are the building blocks. Get in line with the caller to discern a vocation 
that isn't built upon personal aspirations or, or some desire to scratch whatever itch of our pride needs attention. Confusion is the place where God will often take us. And just when we think we have everything figured out, he'll do it again. Ask those who've gone before. It's not like you graduate from Dort College at the age of 22, sit down at a desk and set the next 37 years in place until they give you a watch and you walk out the door. It's not that simple. It's not supposed to be that simple. The character in the heart of God will guide us. See, if, and if it's predicated, our hope to alleviate anxiety on life is predicated upon our plan or the specifics that we want to unfold, we'll get lost on the way. If you're resting upon your ability to navigate, you're doomed before you start. Donald Miller, in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, puts it like this. This is when most people give up on their stories. They come out of college wanting to change the world, wanting to get married, wanting to have kids, and change the way people buy office supplies. But they get into the middle and discover it was harder than they thought. They can't see the distant shore anymore, and they wonder if the pad their paddling is moving them forward. None of the trees behind them are getting smaller, and none of the trees ahead are getting bigger. They take it out on their spouses, and they go looking for an easier story. Because if your ability to define your coordinates is always based upon what you can see you're headed towards or what you can see you are coming from, we are not dependent upon the one who stands with us. We're dependent upon our own pride, and we have to be honest about that. It's the one who's with us in the boat and holding the molecules of the water together underneath as he causes the winds that blow that move us and the imaginations that drive us forward. All of these things are all working together in the way that he unfolds it. Paul puts it like this in the book of Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to who Paul is putting his confidence in, that the work within you will be completed. You are so free as a disciple in Christ. His confidence rests in the one who calls you, not in your ability to get the job done. And the more aware of that we are, the more we get to rest in his strength, and then the more powerful we become in the world. Because it's not our egos that drive us, it's not our anxieties that keep us up. Our vision becomes clearer because it's fixated on the only thing that we can have confidence in. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now we've got to pause here and remind you, this is the book of Philippians. Paul is writing this letter from prison. Persecution is ramping up. Everybody else is terrified. If I stand out for Christ, will I be persecuted in this world? Will my life change? Will I have more worries? Am I safe in my job? Am I safe in society and in public places? Will my family be taken apart? Will my life as I know it change? 
Paul's writing to encourage them. The book that talks about joy more than any other. In prison. And yet Paul doesn't even see this as something that has altered the course of his life. Like redirecting from Siri along a journey. It's just one little turn. God is going to have his way. God will get what he wants. And what he wants is good. This is Paul's strategy now over them. So for a world persecuted, for a world fearful of what it means to be a Christ follower in an uncertain place, maybe this still applies to us today. This is my prayer. This is his strategy that he's praying over these uncertain believers. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The natural reaction for any of us when when trouble hits is to turn, it's to become self-protectionary. But Paul's strategy in the midst of this is simply love. It's still predicated upon what Christ has laid down. This is my prayer, that your love would abound. That's the strategy. That's how the world is going to get changed. When the darkness looks so intimidating, we are not called as Christians to stand on the outside and yell at it and throw stuff at it and be scared of it. You do not stand in the shadows of culture. You are called to be the light that runs into the center of it and changes it from the inside out. You and me both. Love is the plan. That's the strategy. And it's not a foolhardy love that just simply gets steamrolled by an angry and hard world out there. A love that may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you will be able to discern three different ways Paul says God will provide us with a smart love. A love that knows how to engage. Love is the most powerful tool to change and transform the world. And done brilliantly in ways that doesn't have to match the world in its own games or play by its rules. And as you set out in your careers, I promise you, every single one of you will face ways where your faith will be challenged and your convictions will be challenged. You can go into vocational ministry and your obedience to Christ will be challenged. We will be peculiar. You must be peculiar. More than just the fact that in some restaurant you pray before your meal and from 9.30 to 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings we gather in certain places. It has to be more than that. It has to go into everything. Every song we sang setting up our time together this morning in God's word was all about total and complete surrender, giving God his rightful place, exaltation to the utmost. And then, then we find our perspective. Awe, wonder, mystery, confusion even. These are the tools of God to set his people aright. And when we get this, when we find confidence in a perfect love, then fear is cast out. And then we become the embodiment of that to the world in a peculiar way. As you become people who are not driven by financial ambitions or pride, the need for prestige, security, self-determination, as we move in total and complete surrender to the one who we believe loves us more than we love ourselves, 
there and only there can we be free. May you in your calling and then in your vocation and then in your job live in love and not in fear. May you know that there is a Christ who has gone before. May you know that in some ways you really can't even screw this up. His love is so big. And if you take a wrong turn, he picks you up and dusts you off and puts you back again. His love is that big. His sovereignty is that large. And you live under the umbrella of it. Will you pray with me? Father, we are trying to figure out what it means to live in total and complete surrender. And we have a lot of obstacles in our own heart, a lot of fears, pressures that have been put upon us by others or by ourselves. This feeling that we need to lay out a path so we can be secure, so we can have peace. But Father, you've already promised all of these things to us. If we will but rest in you. And I pray that in some small way, even in this moment now, you are freeing us from worry and anxiety, fears of the future. May our eyes see that we don't need to orchestrate our own plans because you hold them. And you've promised and you've said that our confidence rests, that you started this, And you will finish it. Father, may we rest in that. May we receive your peace. And may we know your love. In Jesus' name, amen.